Now, uh, it's great to see you guys. Welcome. I hope you're doing well, staying warm. Uh, I want to begin with the ever-classic uh, God slide to open it up. Uh, Andrew, if you could put this up for me. Um, it's unbelievable to me, amazing to me, that a three-letter word can carry with it uh, such a varied response. In fact, if you just took this room as a uh, testing ground, it would be awesome just to go person by person in here and just say, okay, the word is God, now like play taboo or something. Like, like what would be the clues that you would give, right? The things that you would say. It's amazing that a three-letter word like this somehow describes who I believe to be the one that rules and reigns over all. That like, just with three letters, that somehow those three letters describe what I think is the greatest thing that has ever happened or ever will happen. It's crazy that these three letters uh, unify some of us here tonight and, as it were, divide some of us here as well. Let me ask you this. How do you gauge the nearness of your relationships? Guaranteed, you've said before, like, we're, we're so close, right? Like, I, I just, I have this best friend, and we have bracelets, and we got matching tattoos, and we're just like, and we drink from the same cup, and we have slumber parties, and guys, you said this, you know you did, like when you were 17, or some of you last week, and that's weird, but anyway, it's like, but, but you have a gauge for that. There's been a time where you've talked about the nearness of your relationship with others, and you base that on Many different factors, right? So I want to ask you tonight, where would you and how would you describe tonight your nearness to God? Oh, would you say you're near? Would you say you're distant? Would you say you're far? All kinds of responses in this room and some that wouldn't even match those three words. Before we do anything tonight, I want to encourage you with this. Listen, I recognize fully that there are people here tonight in all varied responses of that question. I recognize tonight that there are some that are in their nearness relationship with God ever, and there's others that are here almost being pulled by a friend potentially. And I want you to know this, that um, this is a place where we desire for you to be able to be right where you're at. This is a community that we desire that uh, is no masquerade, you don't feel like you got to walk in here and talk a certain way or look a certain way. Um, you don't have to wear a blazer, okay? It's not, like, it's not necessary. Um, at the same time, I want to encourage you with this tonight. Is it possible that you would at least resign in your heart to go on a journey tonight? And, and again, I'm, I'm not making any assumptions that you're any which way in answer to that question. I'm just saying, would you at least resign in your heart or get to a place in your life where you're like, okay... All right, Mark, like, all right, I don't even know what you mean by take a journey. Like, we're going to go on a safari here tonight. Like, is the zoo going to come down the aisle or something? I don't know. Maybe it'd be pretty awesome. Um, I just, I want to do that with you guys. Um, my son Dawson, who is uh, almost five, uh, is in a season where the dark just really, um, really scares him. Uh, so much so he hates sitting on or sleeping on the edge of the bed just in case there's some critters or some other meandering, you know, animals or riffraff that come out from underneath the bed. How, do you guys, how many of you teenagers are still in that season of your life, okay? How many of you guys? All right. Many of you? Good. Good percentage of us. And so I, I do my best every single night at bed because it's, it's somewhat of a battle. Daddy, I don't want to go to sleep. I'm scared, you know, whatever's going to get me. And uh, so I do my best to teach him 
that, um, that listen, there, there's no need for you to be scared. Uh, God is with us, and God is here. And, and I, I share this message with him, like, every single night. And last night, he finally got frustrated. And I was like, I was like Dawson, no, like, God is here. He's present. And he's like, no, he's not. And he, like, stood up in his bed. And he's like, where is he then, you know? He's like, and he was, like, almost yelling at me. He's like, I want him to come down from heaven and to sleep in this bed, this, what he said. He's, like, pounding his fist. I'm like, that'll preach, brother. And I, I, like, saw, you know, I, like, I was like, right on, bro. Um, <laughs> but in his understanding, right, he, he's like, okay, you say that God is near. You say that God is present, but I don't see him. I don't feel him, Daddy. All I see is shadows made by open doors, right? And last night I did the Bible story uh, with all my kids, and I, w- I didn't re- realize this, but I was using the flashlight on my phone, and all Dawson was looking at was the ceiling, and I looked, looked up on the ceiling, and my goatee was like three foot big. <laughs> and like, he was like, I ended the I'm like, sorry. Looks like a horrible monster. Um, <clears throat> so listen. I know, many of you say, I know many of you would say that you're near tonight, and I know many of you would say that you're far. And I know many of you have said before, like, but I can't see him and I can't feel him. How do I know that he's near? All I'm asking tonight is that you'll go on a journey with me um, to this amazing story of Exodus chapter 2. I want to pray for that. I want to pray for us. I, I know I say this a lot. There's so much on my heart tonight. I'm just really glad that you guys are here, okay? So let's pray, and we're going to see what happens here tonight. I, I'm not quite sure, okay? This, it could get crazy. So let's pray. Are you guys cool? Let's pray. All right. Uh, Father, I thank you that every single person um, that's here tonight that you have um, called, ordained, um, caused to be sitting in that seat. And I pray tonight, God, that wherever my friends are at tonight, uh, that you would have something very, very specific to say to them. I would ask God tonight that it wouldn't be my words that would be communicated, but that you would speak directly uh, to all of us, including myself. So come here in these moments and make yourself very, very known in your great and holy name. And all God's people said, amen. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. Just started a long journey in the book of Exodus. If you're just joining us, we uh, journey through the Bible verse by verse through books at a time. So we just started a very large, gargantuan book in Exodus. Uh, It will take us probably the rest of the decade, and we're excited about it. We don't apologize for it uh, because we believe that... um, by chewing on small portions of text at a time that we can glean uh, the depth of the meaning from the words. Uh, So we're excited tonight. Last week we saw uh, this baby, uh, Moses, be born. Uh, His name means uh, drawn out of the water. And uh, we saw that his mother, after three months of hiding him, put him in a little basket, kind of like a wicker basket, uh, for those of you ladies that have wicker baskets and guys that took classes in college to make wicker baskets, and, um, and she put this child in the basket and sent it down the river. She had her daughter watch the child, which was Moses' sister, just in case something happened. It just so happened that one of Pharaoh's many daughters uh, found the baby, took pity on the baby, the scripture said, and then all of a sudden took this baby in. At a very proper time, Moses' sister entered the scene and said, hey, uh, do you want me to have one of the Hebrew women nurse this kid? And, uh, and, and because she wasn't pregnant at the time and couldn't do the nursing herself, that sounded like a great idea to Pharaoh's daughter. She hands baby Moses back over to Moses' mother in an unbelievable sovereign moment of God's grace. And then Moses gets adopted, we saw at the end of last week, by Pharaoh's 
daughter. Well, tonight, uh, Moses has grown older, and now all of a sudden, all kinds of chaos ensues. So let's start here in verse 11 of Exodus chapter 2. Are you there? Say, I'm there. Wonderful. Thank you. For those that didn't respond, it's all good. Um, One day, verse 11, one day, when Moses had all grown up, and I love this because uh, how many times did your parents say this, right? You hit puberty, man, you're just growing up, you, you know. Uh, the dudes we talked about last week, you found that first armpit hair, and, you know, there's just excitement in your house. Um, things are really going well. Moses gets to a point where he's all grown up. In Stephen's speech in Acts 7, uh, we find out that, that there's, like, periods of 40 years in Moses' life, okay? So all grown up here means he, he's, like, he's really grown up, okay? Like, there's, there's been some time that has spanned in Moses' life. One day when Moses had grown up, look at this. He went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and the scripture says, one of his people. Remember, he's a Jew. He's a Hebrew. He gets adopted into an Egyptian household. And the scripture says that one day he goes out, and he's watching the slavery-ridden Jewish people under the hand of Pharaoh work, be whipped, enslaved and all of a sudden something in recognizing his people and seeing the depth of their pain something grabs him we're not quite sure exactly we can make some assumptions but we're not quite sure exactly how he knows that these are his people Uh, could it be that Pharaoh's daughter had communicated to him at some point uh, that he was in fact a Jew could it be that his interaction maybe with his sister at some point in that or mother uh, reminded him but Nevertheless, he walks out and he people watches. How many of you guys like to people watch, right? All of you. And for those of you not raising your hand, you're a liar, okay? Uh, my wife is an obsessive people watcher, okay? Put her in an airport and she won't talk for like hours, okay? We'll be on our way to, to a vacation or something in an airport. No, nope, just shut down. I mean, no phone, no nothing. She's like watching people. A mall is another great place uh, to watch people. People are interesting. But I want to ask this. When was the last time, intentionally, you went to a place where people are gathered and you sat down and you prayed before, God, please give me a heart for people, and you just watched? And you were watching in a way that you didn't instantly go through the 20 uh, check marks of judgment in your mind. And you guys know what I'm talking about. Every single person you interact with goes through this list. And if they meet certain criteria, then maybe you'll accept them into your inner sphere. When was the last time prayerfully you said, God, I just, give me a heart for people again. My heart's gotten hard. It's gotten calloused. I helped someone. I served someone. And I got burnt. And I'm tired of helping and being on mission with them. When was the last time you sat and you just watched people? And as you watched, you pictured the stories that those people represent. The pain that those people have the joys that those people are celebrating, the jobs that those people work at. When was the last time you just said, God, give me a heart for people, and you just watched, and your heart just broke? The cool thing is it doesn't have to happen at a mall or an airport. Uh, In fact, I would argue it can happen here. Again, isn't it crazy? Like in your row, the amount of stories that are represented with those to your left and to your right. There would be novels worth 
just in that one row of all of the crazy adventure and life and pain and struggle and joy and happiness that we've all experienced. Moses goes out, and in a very vivid picture, he sees pain. And when he sees pain, different from the pity that was taken on him by Pharaoh's daughter, as we saw last week, this pain leads to something else. He looked this way and that, verse 12, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now Moses just turned hardcore, right? This is like, Moses before was Charlton Heston, big beard, nice guy, right? Growing up, little baby in a basket, floating down the river. Now all of a sudden, he, he's, he's killed someone, and he's, he's hiding them in the sand, okay? I'm not sure if anyone told Moses that hiding a dead body in the sand, not such a great idea. Can we agree? Like sand erodes easily, okay? Like, like there's not, there, unless he like dug like 20 feet deep, okay, where the crabs could get at him or something. Like this is a very, very morbid picture. And just to make it more and more morbid, how about the called man of God to deliver the Jews out of the hands of the Egyptians is beginning his journey of recognizing his identity with murder. And for those of you that would argue that it doesn't mean he murdered him, uh, he just struck him down and, you know, did a sandcastle over the top of him, okay? That's not the case. He strikes down the man. And I love the notation, he looks this way and that way. Come on now. How many times in your life, right before a, a, a moment of a bad decision, did you look this way and that way, right? I want to walk you through, uh, just in the terms of my employment, opportunities that I look this way and that way. Uh, my first job was a paper boy, okay? Any of the rest of you, I know you liked the video game back in the day, but any of the rest of you guys paper boys, okay? Paper boys? Okay. Three of us, good. So there was this one particular house. Uh, I have a huge affinity for older men, which sounds weird. Um, uh, I just, I love seasoned, I love learning from old guys, okay? Let me say it that way. Um, but this one particular season, man, I was a young kid. Uh, every time that I would go and gather the fees, and this is like old school paper boy, uh, like on a bike, literally, just like the game. He would just like yell at me, give me a hard time. I wasn't putting the, the paper in the proper place. You know, I'm like, what do you want me to do? Like deliver it to your bedside? Like, I'm sorry. So one day on my bike, I looked this way, looked that way, didn't see nobody, right? Uh, I was a quarterback in college, had pretty good aim then took that paper as I'm pedaling down, looking this way, looking that way, don't see no one, gave a little extra oomph towards the window, you know, and um, darn shame, just busted the thing right there, you know, <laughs> look this way, look that way, pedaled as fast as I could, smiled the whole way, you know, and I, what I didn't realize is it was going to be fairly obvious with the paper sitting at the base of the window, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, well, then uh, my next job was at Ponderosa Steakhouse. Uh, I've mentioned it many times. Uh, Ponderosa deeply changed my life for many reasons, uh, and I talk about it all the time, but the cheese sauce there, and I'll, I give a commendation to it every time, it's unbelievable, okay? As gross as Ponderosa is, the cheese sauce is life-changing, okay? So try it, drip it on your face, whatever you got to do. So they have all these rules, and if you've been in food service before, you've experienced this. They've ha they have all these rules. Don't eat the food, you know, in front, whatever, right? I, I was at Steak and Shake with my kids a, a, couple, uh, a couple weeks ago, and I'm just watching the cooks behind the thing, and they're just like eating burgers, eating french fries right off the thing. I'm like, they're not even trying to hide it. Well, for me, trying to hide it 
looking this way or looking that way, no boss. Tell the guy on the, on the you know, cooking the grill, I'm like, hey, dude, could you accidentally drop a prime rib right, right here up on this plate, you know? And he's like, oh, dear, you know, and like kind of slips it over the plate, you know? And so I take it around the corner and, uh, and set this nice prime rib like way back in the back. It was awesome because I would like look this way, that way, go back. And, um, just amazing, right? Well, then, then I got to uh, my first uh, ministry job, so Paperboy to Ponderosa to ministry was my transition. And um, then I, I just had to look out for elders. That was pretty much my youth pastor career, okay? I was looking this way and looking that way for other pastors. Because um, I was always pressing the envelope, breaking the rules, doing things you shouldn't do. So one day I had this now cockamamie idea. I was like, listen, what would be really, really cool is if in the youth room we had um, 30 black lights in the ceiling. And... Uh, I didn't think about all the implications of this. I really, you know, it's like, this would be cool. So looking this way, looking that way, you know, is there some budget room? I call the electrician, not asking anyone, hangs 30 black lights in our youth room. And uh, needless to say, uh, that caused many debate uh, later on. What are you trying to do here, run a rave? Yep, pretty much. Um, <laughs> hmm. Now, you've been in the same place, right? You look this way and that way, not when you're going to do a nice deed. You look this way and that way because you don't want to get caught. You look this way and that way because you're trying to do something that you know is inherently wrong and you don't want anyone to see you. Well, this is Moses' thought as well. And I think it's a little bit reactive, but at the same time, it's almost as if his heart had gotten to this place where he was ready to do this. He was tired of the pain, tired of watching all the pain happen, and so he takes action. But just so you know, as we watch the character of Moses unfold, like this paints a pretty intense picture of his character. Uh, murderer, uh, someone who strikes an Egyptian down and buries him in the sand. Verse 13. When he went out the next day, doesn't talk about his remorse, doesn't say he couldn't sleep at night, doesn't say he, you know, went out and realized that hiding in the sand wasn't a good idea, so he threw him in a river or something. Like, none of that happens. When he went out the next day, verse 13, behold, gotta love that word, two Hebrews were struggling together And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? A couple things that are interesting to me right away. So he comes out, his heart's being changed, he's having compassion toward the Hebrew people, he hasn't experienced this much, and now all of a sudden, he can tell, discern, figure out from the situation who is in the wrong. Don't you love love that? So he like comes up on the situation, these Hebrews are arguing or struggling about something, And he can tell immediately who's in the wrong. So he tells the person who's in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? They're fighting, they're going after it. And look at this, so interesting in verse 14. He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? How many of us have said this at this precise moment? You're in the wrong, someone calls you out. Who died and made you God? Who died and made you my parent? Who died and made you my boyfriend? Who died and made you fill in the blank, right? Like, we've said that, and, and we've yelled it in our hearts if we haven't said it, right? We've maybe said it softly, like, you know, I'm not so sure, especially in Christendom, right? You know, I don't know if you should really be calling me out on that because you kind of struggle with the same thing. And in our hearts, we're like, you hypocrite. How could you ever say something to me like that? If we live by that sort of mentality in the church, then when will we ever call anyone out? How could we ever challenge anyone? Because every single person in this room 
is still on a journey wrestling. You come to Christ, you begin relationship with God through Jesus. And as you know, he begins the process, uh, the theological term, the doctrinal term is sanctification. In other words, he starts changing you, making you more like him. But there's still that struggle between flesh and spirit. And so how in the world then, if, if, you can't, if you have to be perfect to challenge someone, how will we ever have a challenging conversation in this room, let alone anywhere else? I know for sure there are things on your heart that you're discerning about others that you're afraid to tell them because you believe that they're going to say, well, who are you to speak that to me? I was with you last week, and you think all of a sudden you can communicate those things to me? Well, look what happens here. He's saying those things. He says, who made you a prince and a judge over us in verse 14? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Deep blow, right? Now, listen, and this is way more than a deep blow. Moses thinks he he got away with it. Now he's trying to encourage these guys to stop fighting. He's being the nice guy. And imagine all of a sudden his reaction. Are you going to kill us like you killed that guy yesterday? You felt that heart drop before, haven't you? Mom, dad called you out, didn't think they saw it, they did. Husband, wife, that feeling of being caught. This is every emotion of being caught rushing through him. Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. Now I want to encourage you with this. We have to be in community with one another to such an extent that we can challenge each other and as scripture says, speak the truth in love. If we can't, then we are a masquerade. If we can't, then we're just coming together, high-fiving, clapping at a song and saying, you guys have a good night. We have to be able in community with one another to be able to look at one another and speak the truth in love beginning with this. Listen, I know I struggled too. In fact, I've struggled recently with this very thing that I'm going to encourage you with. And there is the point. Come on. Don't you often discern things about others that you've experienced yourself? Which makes you then the person that should be challenging. You know what that sin looks like. In fact, you're experiencing it now. And we take the hypocritical side. Who are you to call me out? Instead of saying, you would know. You would know what it looks like. You would know what it feels like. You would know what it is to hide behind shame and regret. So what do you have to say? Do you see that in me? Let's talk. Let's wrestle. Please, can you pray for me? And let's pray for one another. You guys see what I'm saying? It's not then creating a coddling session where all of a sudden we just have everything in common with those who are struggling with the same thing. No, it's pushing one another towards the cross of Christ by receiving grace and giving grace to one another. So listen, if you're in this community and you're not interested in being encouraged in your walk with Christ as a believer, if you're a non-believer here, keep coming and hanging. And I pray your curiosity just continues to to be drawn to the the community. If you're a believer here and you just want to walk in, walk out, a few high fives, you know, a few peace and loves as you go. Listen, that's not what we're interested in. We want to go after the cross of Christ. And people who have struggled with sin that I struggle with can call me out all the better because they can see through it all. And so I'm inviting it, and I would pray you would too. These Hebrews don't want to invite that. Who are you 
you to kill us like you did the dude yesterday? Moses says, oh dear, this thing is known. Someone, you know, the wind blew the sand over and uh, revealed dead body. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of it, um, listen, news spreads quickly. Especially that when people who are supposed to be filled with integrity, people who have standing in the community or in a city, fail and struggle. News travels fast. Pharaoh hears of it. And look what it says. He sought to kill Moses. Again, I know many of you guys have seen Prince of Egypt and you think you understand this whole story. I get it. I understand. Um, does, is anyone just feeling the weight of this whole situation a little bit? A baby on a river in a basket who was destined to die, it seemed. In fact, was supposed to die. That's what Pharaoh wanted. Pharaoh ends up adopting this child into his household. And now look what happens. Pharaoh wants to kill him again. And so the question is, will the chosen man of God to deliver the people of God from the hands of Egyptian slavery, will he die? Will the plans of God be thwarted by man? Pharaoh wants him to die. But the scripture says, Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. Cue the map. Uh, He doesn't just go like down the street, okay? Okay. Uh, you can see, like, this is like over the river and through the woods, right? Uh, he, gets, he gets way out of there, right? Uh, and if you haven't noticed yet, Midian has the red circle around it, okay? Um, <laughs> so he leaves Egypt, and he heads towards Midian, stays in Midian, and then in an amazingly interesting moment in the Scripture, and he sat down by a what? By a what? Come on. By a well. Are there ever moments in Scripture where you just smile and laugh? Because, like, I, I kept reading this over and over and over, just smiling and laughing. Why the detail? Why the detail of a well, and why does he sit by a well? Fancy that. There's a nice well, you know. And it's kind of <laughs> nice place to grab a drink, you know. Bartender, could I get a nice cup of water, you know, I mean. But then you start thinking about all the times in the scripture where a well is mentioned. And so just doing a little bit of research and mostly just my heart being lured by this. um, Especially in those days, you can imagine, wells are very popular places because they're the place of sustenance. They obviously don't have the same access to water like we do. He's tired from his journey. He stops and sits by the well because he's thirsty. And not just because he's thirsty, but it could be a new person in a new land knowing the place that people will come and hang. And so he's like, look, a lot of people coming through. I'm sure the shepherds will be by a little bit later. I'll stop here by the well and see what happens. Now the priest, here we go. Our story gets really, really thick here. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. Now it feels like a Disney movie all of a sudden, right? It's like, what? Like all of a sudden there's this, you know, he's got seven daughters. Or we're going to be like trying on slippers or something to see who gets the wife. I'm not sure how this is going to go. Look at this. And they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Does anyone else see what I'm seeing here? Like these are some hardworking ladies right here, right? They, they go to the well. 
And not just do they go to the well, they drew water from it and filled the, what's the word? Troughs. Hebrew word there means trough, okay? It's a big old place of water, okay? So they're not just like getting cups and like walking back one by one, you know? Here you go, little flock of sheep, you know? No, I mean, they're, they're filling troughs with buckets. I mean, I picture these girls have biceps way bigger than me. Not bigger than Tim Gray, though. Tim Gray, who did our marriage retreat, and his wife are here. Glad to have you guys here. Thanks so much. Tim has the biggest biceps I've seen as a pastor. Um, so these women, they're, they're filling troughs with water. And now you can, feel the, you can feel like the romantic music starting to begin. Seven daughters filling water. You know, there's a damsel in distress. The shepherds came and drove them away. Oh, oh, oh dear, right? So the shepherds come. We're not sure why they do this. I kind of picture, and forgive me, but I kind of picture like a little bit of a, a locker room scene here, you know? It's like, what are you guys doing drawing water? You know, like, we're the shepherds. You know, like you see our flocks back here. They're kind of like degrading the women here. And, and so the scripture says, literally, they, they caused them to flee. The shepherds came and drove them away. We're not sure with words, with, uh, you know, physically. But look at this. Come on now. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. Now, there's going to be moments all through Exodus that we get a very descriptive picture of Moses as a man. So far in the story, just so we're all keeping notes, uh, he's killed a man, buried him in the sand, didn't go well. He's traveled very, very far to a distant land. He shows up in that distant land, hanging out at a well as, as a bystander, and all of a sudden saves, it, it seems, seven daughters, and doesn't just save them, but then he waters their flock randomly, right? This gives us an indicator into what has been happening in Moses' heart. Not only is he becoming compassionate towards his people, not only is he uh, being stirred uh, towards uh, mercy on people, but you can see how God is shaping him to become the man that God has called him to be. And for those of you that think that process is just like that, for those of you that get discouraged because you don't look like XYZ person over here, like, God, why is it taking longer for me? Enjoy the journey. Watch God while he's working. I feel like we're so good at looking back and not enjoying now. We're so good at looking five years ago. Man, look at, man, five years ago I was this. And could you believe this journey? Instead of right in the moment watching God hone your heart for you to continue to become the man and the woman that he's made you to be. And he has to go through some massive refining. But at the core of him is this man who is compassionate towards people, is this man who is a leader, is this man who is not afraid. I mean, he takes on a pack of shepherds who don't strike me as the violent kind per se, right? But he takes on this pack of shepherds, drives them out, and the scripture says saves them. The actual Hebrew word there is deliver. So now all of the foreshadowing metaphors and idioms and phrases could come up. Uh, just the beginning here. Moses um, is about 40 or so. We'll spend 40 years in Midian. And he saves these damsels in distress. When they came home, verse 18, to their father, uh, Reuel, who uh, in chapter 3, we're going to find out his name, Jethro. 
So, so it's like when, when Moses, as I presume, was writing this, was he like, mm, we're going to throw in this name so you guys can really appreciate Jethro, you know? Um, I just like me some Jethro, okay? Any, did any of you guys have grandparents named Jethro? Just to pull the audience. Any? We do have one back there. Who is that back there? Jo- Are you serious, your dad? Was your, your, was your grandpa named Jethro? Dude, I thought you were a stallion before, but now? Mm. Mm. Actually, Tim, I'm, no, there's no harm done. John has way bigger biceps than you, bro. I don't, I don't mean to, I want to make you feel welcome, but. So listen to this. The ladies come home, seven daughters, to their father, uh, Jethro. And he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? And has anyone, when studying this text, been a little bit con- confused at Jethro? Why weren't you getting the water? You know? Instead, in this moment, and it could be because he's incredibly old, we're not sure, but, like, why, he, he, why, why'd you guys get home, you know, so soon? Did you get all your work done? Did you get everything taken care of? Like, what's, you know, what happened out there? And they said, verse, in response, verse 19, an Egyptian, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is just identity confusion all over the place, isn't it? He walks out and sees his people, the Jews, taking some banter from Egyptians and being a Jew himself, and now he's being called an Egyptian. This is crazy. An Egyptian deliver us, delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. <laughs> now look at this. Here you go. Here you go, guys. Here's your encouragement. He said to the daughters, then where is he? <laughs> Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. <laughs> right? This is awesome. Right? Uh, in our rendition, call him that, that he may eat pizza with us. You know, like let's partake. We'll break the breadsticks together, you know. Um, <laughs> well, what is Jethro's motive here? Got seven daughters. Maybe they need some help watering, you know, getting, getting the water. Maybe, maybe this man could be a part of the family. He just shows up in the land. I just want you guys to see this and appreciate it. Just shows up in the land. And God's sovereign hand in molding the life of Moses is bringing all of this together. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. What? And I love that it notes the man there, not the, not the seven daughters. You know, it, it's like, in other words, Moses is, is spending some significant amount of time with Daddy Jethro. And, and you know, maybe some could presume he's kind of, he's kind of, you know, sucking up a little bit. He's making sure Jethro sees him as a man. But, he dwells right with his family. He shows up in a distant land, and God gives him a home. And look at this. And he gave Moses his daughter, Sipporah. He straight gets married right away after showing up in this land. She gave birth to a son, already getting pregnant. And he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. He'll be back near this land later in our story of Exodus. Now, before we look at, in my opinion, three of the most powerful verses in our entire beginning journey of Exodus, God is so unbelievably creative. You are case in point to that. Do all the dots in your story connect? Does everything make sense? Does it all line up? Or have you ever just stopped and been like, how in the world did God 
how did he take me from here to there? Like, how is that even possible? That God could bring all this together, in fact, you suffering in trial, and somehow get glory. And some of you are thinking this right now in your seat. You're like, how in the world did I get here tonight? And I believe it's probably to hear these next verses. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And the scripture said, they cried out for help. Very distinctly in your mind. When have you cried out for help? You can remember being a kid, being scared in a room, mommy, daddy, come. But I'm talking about now. When was the last time you just cried out for help? And we get an image here of years and years and years of slavery happening. And the people groan. And so the question is, what will God do? Their cry for rescue, the end of verse 23, from slavery came up to God. Do you ever struggle in prayer believing or thinking the old adage is that your prayers are hitting the ceiling? Have you ever struggled in prayer thinking that you're just praying to encourage yourself? Come on. Maybe not in your faithful moments, but in your doubting moments, have you ever thought, at least for a moment, that your prayers are insignificant and do not matter? That really all you're doing, especially when praying with a group of people, is everyone's just talking to one another. And we're encouraging each other about the afterlife. Before we see anything else about the character of God here, four specific things, isn't it encouraging to know that these cries, these groans, these slavery-ridden, hurt, burdened people cry out, and the scripture says, it came up to God. It reaches God. It gets there. And look at what verse 24 said. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And the scripture says, and God what? And God knew. Four very specific pieces of God's action here. Next slide, Andrew. The first is this, God heard. Three letters. And somehow those three letters, G-O-D, somehow those three letters transcend every understanding that you and I have about proximity and hearing. Okay, I've certainly given it a go in my life, and I'm sure many of you have, trying to see how far your proximity can go. Like, I'm sure my volume can reach, you know, pretty extensively. But God's ability to hear transcends our every piece of our understanding of what hearing is. So the first thing is, God being fully present, fully everywhere, at the same time, hears 
the cries of his people. And the next part says, God remembered. And I love this. God made a promise. He made a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob in Genesis. And just to recap the promises, I'll bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. He told Father Abraham that. Remember, and Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons said, Father Abraham, and I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. He remembers that covenant. Right. He remembers it. But listen, some of you are like, well, how is he remembering it? These people are in slavery. He never says how he will remember it. But God cannot break his promises. And we have to hear that tonight. We're putting God to our timetable. We're putting God in a Christmas present that we have wrapped ourselves for opening for when we determine. God will keep and will remember his promise. Maybe not on your time schedule, but on his that will bring him glory at his doing under his sovereign hand for his name's sake, period. And listen, I just want to make sure you understand this. You're like, but Mark, what kind of picture of God is that? A picture of God. Not a picture of a God that can be understood by humans. If that was so, then we've got gods sitting in this room. I love the fact that when the scripture says God remembered, it's pointing to the fact that God will forever remember every promise and every fulfillment he's ever said. Period. No matter what your timetable. God saw. Come on, have you ever felt completely alone? Have you ever felt that no one is seeing this, no one is watching this, I can get away with this because eyes aren't staring down at me? Of course you have. And then have you ever felt in the absolute pit of despair, no one understands, no one cares, no one's watching, no one's noticed, Could you imagine, just for a second, that some juice felt that way? Like 10 times the way you feel? Try getting beaten every day to work. And you're crying out to God, and you're wondering when he's going to come down and rescue. And you're starting to wonder if he will. But the scripture says, God saw. And lastly, and this has absolutely changed my life, I, I pray forever, God knew I feel like some of you have been coming for months and months and months or maybe even years. And I feel like right now in this moment, you have to hear God knows. He knows the pain. He knows the depth of your struggle. He knows the wrestling. He knows the celebration. He knows what's happening right now, though no one else does, and no, you don't want anyone else to. God knew. He saw his people. He knows the hurt of his people. He remembers all of these things with his people, and he hears the people. My question is, does he still do these things? Is God still hearing? Is he still seeing? Is he still remembering? Is he still knowing? I say if he's not, then I do not want to worship. 
then all we're doing here is we're clapping our hands and we're singing just to appease this idea that maybe there's something better after we die. But if these things are true, if there is one God, and if that God hears, I was sitting with a couple of friends from India today. Unbelievable story. And after I got to hear this amazing man's testimony, I just shared the thing I always share when I hang with folks from distant lands. Isn't it unbelievable that somehow the same God has heard your prayers thousands of miles away and hears mine? And we just like had a moment where we just worshiped. If that's God, if he hears, in fact, as the psalmist says, if he inclines his ear, he remembers. Does he still remember? The promises are mapped out in his scripture. Promise after promise after promise. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And on and on and on. Has he remembered? Is he remembering? Is he showing you that he'll... He'll never, his word will never return void. Is he remembering right now? Listen, is he seeing? And I know for some of you tonight, you do not feel seen. You feel completely alone. And I just want to encourage you, it's not just that God sees, and it's not just that God remembers, and it's not just that God hears, but it's God understands, and he loves, and he cares, and finally, he's interested Somehow in every single one of us, interested, loving, caring, merciful, gracious. And he knows. And I want to tell every single one of you tonight, though you may feel alone, he knows. And he doesn't know for head knowledge's sake. He knows so that he can love. Other people have known things about you so they can hold it over your head. God knows so that he can extend the invitation of forgiveness and grace to you and receive you as a son and a daughter. I feel like some of you tonight have come to a place in your life where it's absolutely time to cry out. You need help, you know it. You've been turning to people, you've been turning to things, and you keep returning to the same point, like the scripture says, a dog returns to its vomit, believing and seeing again that it does not fulfill. I'm telling you right now, you cry out for help of the Lord. And as the psalmist said, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will help. He will save. He will bring restoration, healing, forgiveness, and grace. Scripture says, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And and trusting that that cross that God's son Jesus died on wasn't just a bloody mess for, for drama's sake, but that it meant forgiveness and grace of sins. I believe tonight some of you just need to call out on the Lord, pleading for help and mercy and grace. And I'm telling you tonight, you will receive a God who hears and a God who remembers, and a God who sees, and a God who knows. And I feel like there's other people 
for each one of these pieces of God's character, you've really struggled with for a long time. Yeah, Mark, I get that he sees, I know he's in heaven somewhere and looking down all these Christian phrases that we've learned to say. But Mark, I really don't, I really don't believe he knows. Isn't it easier, come on, isn't it easier to believe that God is sovereign over all and yet somehow doesn't know us? We will communicate and even believe in our heart. God is sovereign. He knows all. He's in all. And then in our heart, exempt ourselves. Maybe for you tonight, it's crying out that God will help you rest in that piece of his character that for years and years and years you've been struggling with. Come on, let's stand together. I grew up in the church, spent a lot of time around um, Christianity, around things that claim to be about God. And I want to tell you this, it's entirely possible to be around the things of God and not know God at all. And as I have grown, all of a sudden I've come to this understanding, this place in my life, this place in my particular journey where I'm not consumed with righteous acts or not consumed with missional living for mission's sake. Or I'm not consumed with portraying a better life than I have. I'm at a place in my life where I just desire to be consumed by God. By a three-letter word that somehow is way more powerful than the three letters can contain. And what I believe for us as a body is as God shapes our view of his character and reminds us that when we cry out, he hears and he cares, and he's interested. The distance, being far from him in intimacy, like some of you answered earlier, you watch the access grow that you already have in Christ. So tonight as we worship, I feel like some of you guys just need to go to a corner. I feel like some of you guys need to get on your face. I feel like some of you guys need to get with others. Tonight, what does it look like for us to cry out in worship, in song, in prayer? What does it look like tonight just to say, here we are, God. Not understanding the depths of you, struggling with who you are, or struggling with believing you at all. Here I am, God. Please help me. Father, I would ask right now for my friends, my brothers and sisters, that you would give us tonight the courage to cry out, to reach out, to lean in, to trust, to believe. God, will you help us? Call out and ask for help tonight. And I pray that you would be quick in your response. I pray tonight, God, that we would sense and know your realness. Show us again that you're God.